Hello, and welcome to the teaching ministry of Impact Family Church. For more information, including service times and directions, or to find out more about us, you can visit our website at www.impactfamilychurch.com. We trust you'll be blessed by today's message. Turn with me in your Bible tonight to the openings we've looked at. Go first of all to Ephesians chapter, excuse me, chapter 6. Ephesians chapter 6, we're continuing our study on parenting. Ephesians chapter 6, hallelujah. I appreciate uh, folks coming out. You know, sometimes when you uh, introduce a topic like this, uh, sometimes people who don't have children say, well, that's, that's not for me, you know. Uh, my children are grown, doesn't apply to me, and, um, and they don't come. I tell you, it applies to you. If you have children, it doesn't matter how old they are, it applies to you. It applies to you if you're, if you're planning on having children or you think you might have children one day. It applies. Amen. In uh, Ephesians chapter 6, verse 1 says, Children, obey your parents in the Lord. For this is right, honor your father and mother, which is the first commandment with promise, that it may be well with you and you may live long on the earth. And you fathers, do not provoke your children to wrath, but bring them up in the training and admonition of the Lord, in the discipling, in the discipline of the Lord, in the precepts of the Lord. To bring them up has to do with the environment you set it in your home as much as it has to do with uh, uh, particular instruction. What kind of environment is in your home? Is it, a, is it a, an environment where, where Jesus is number one, where God is first, where the word is first? It is, an, is it an environment where your children see you uh, uh, every day of their lives living for God, living for him with, with sincerity, uh, exercising your faith in the word, acting on the word. In other words, do, do the things of God uh, have a part in the everyday activity of your, of your family? If the only time the things of God are ever mentioned is whenever uh, your kids hear you say, get ready for church, then uh, you're missing something. And that's not gonna have the kind of influence that, that uh, God wants us to have. It says, bring them up in the training and admonition of the Lord. And then over in Proverbs, and I know you can quote it, but it's always good to look at it. Proverbs 22, verse number six. Proverbs 22, verse six says, train up a child in the way he should go. And when he is old, he will not depart from it. What a tremendous promise. Every parent should have the assurance that their children will if they're, if they're very young children, that they will know God, have the assurance, uh, older children, that they will continue to walk with the Lord. This verse says, train up a child when he, uh, in the way he should go, and when he is old, he will not depart from it. That means he's in it. That means he's, he's walking in the way he should go. Amen? And, uh, and I told you, you know, where, where I came from, sort of the... the uh, idea that we had in, in our particular denomination, uh, it, was, it was more fear than anything else where children were concerned. I know in my own personal 
uh, family and my, you know, my uh, brothers and sisters, sisters and so forth, my siblings, uh, in watching uh, others uh, of, of, uh, of my age and, and people that I knew in church, uh, very often they expressed this fear of whether or not their children would be saved and uh, prayed earnestly. But, you know, praying out of fear is a waste of time. If you're not in faith when you pray, uh, you're wasting your time. And when you're in faith about a particular thing, you, you don't have to pray about it uh, the same way you would if you weren't in faith. Uh, you still have to pray for your kids, but not the same way they were praying. Like I said, uh, you know, part of that, part of that is a result of just uh, the reality that Pentecostal people have, because we believe the Bible, you know, more, more so not to, not to, to take on errors or anything, but more than any other group, we believe the whole Bible. We expect that what, uh, what God said to his people, uh, in, in the days of the church and the formation of the church, those things are true today that we ought to have all the experiences and, and have everything they have and had and, and have the fullness of God's blessing. You know, one thing that certain churches, denominations, one thing that about them is a lot of times their faith is just an intellectual faith. It's not real faith. It's really mental assent. Uh, they believe more in their denomination and in their creed. Christianity to a lot of people is just a creed or a church culture. You know, uh, I've shared my faith with people before, just strangers, just say, how you doing? You know, do you know God loves you? And you know, do you know the Lord? Do you, you know, oh, I'm Catholic. As if, that excludes me from having to answer that question. It doesn't apply to me because I'm Catholic. Or it's just as bad on the other side. Well, I'm Protestant. I've had people say, oh, I'm Methodist. See, see to a lot of people, Christianity equals their denomination and, and their culture within that denomination. You know, different denominations have their own culture. And a lot of times people aren't even, aren't even saved and don't even know their, their particular denomination or the church within their particular denomination because churches uh, are different from one to another, you know, within particular groups. But, but, but within their particular church or the group they were raised in, they, it wasn't even presented to them that they could have an actual heartfelt experience with the Lord. I know the, the uh, not picking on anybody, but I know the Baptists, for instance, and in a lot of places... They, they will criticize Pentecostals and they say, well, you guys are just emotional. It's all emotion and they, and they disdain, they, they, they uh, dismiss that. You know, that all of that shouting and shaking and running and, and even speaking in tongues, they call it ecstatic, you know, uh, 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 utterances. That it's just, it's just, in other words, it's just emotions, and they, they like to, they among others, but you know, the, the Baptists tend to be more fundamental-like 
fundamentalist like, not maybe as much as, as, as others, but they, they tend to, to uh, uh, want to believe the Bible. They, they miss some things, you know. But within that group, sometimes there's this concept that, that faith needs to be intellectual. And if it's not intellectual, it's not worth anything. And the problem with that is uh, there's a lot of people sitting in those congregations who've never been saved. Because having an experience with the Lord Jesus Christ is, is a heartfelt experience. It affects your emotion. Someone, for instance, who has never felt sorry for sin. They've never felt the sorrow of sin. I question whether if they've ever really repented. You know, we have an expression in Pentecostal churches sometimes, you know, when someone gets saved, somebody will testify, you know, the weight, the burden of sin rolled off. Uh, well, see, that's an, that's an emotion. That's, that's something you, you feel emotionally. Someone who just approaches Christianity from, from a, a, an intellectual standpoint, they, 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 it's a good chance they don't even, they've never experienced that. They've never, they've never experienced real conviction, the conviction of the Holy Spirit. Well, in Pentecostal churches, we tend to, to our, our, our experience with God tends to be more heartfelt and uh, uh, not to, to uh, again, take on airs or anything, but, but when something is heartfelt, uh, it means uh, a, a lot to you. And something that's very real in, in Pentecostal churches is the reality of heaven and the reality of hell. And uh, we don't want to see our children go to hell. No parent who, who's, who's, who's thinking, you know, wants to see their children go, go to hell. No, a, a, a parent who really has experienced salvation and really experienced the love of God has truly been redeemed and, and truly turned from this world to give their life to, to the Lord. They want to see their children come into that. Well, the lack of, and, and that's a good thing, uh, and again, in some churches, I'm just drawing a comparison, in some groups, more traditional groups, it's more like, well, I want my family, you know, we're Methodists and I want you to be Methodist. I'm a Methodist, your, mom, your, your grandmama was a Methodist and her mother before her was a Methodist, you're a Methodist. So start acting like one. And, and that's really all it is. But, but for people who've, who've experienced a genuine new birth, and particularly then when they're filled with the Holy Spirit, there's a reality, the things of God are, are very precious. And we want that for our children. Well, in, in, in uh, a group like, like the denomination I came out of, because there wasn't faith where the children were concerned, there was this uh, intense uh, sense that, I want my children saved. My children must be saved. What happened is it resulted in fear that they might not be. And uh, I don't know how I got a hold of faith. When, when uh, Pastor Angela and I were married, we were just teenagers. And, uh, you know, uh, when I got back into fellowship with the Lord, I was 20 years old. So I was still very young. And uh, had been out of church for a while. But uh, as soon as I got back in the fellowship with the Lord, somehow, you know, we already had a child by that time, uh, our oldest son, uh, somehow I just, 
you know, sometimes we're unconsciously led. You know, we, we, like, we, like to, we like to think, oh yes, the Lord dealt with me. He revealed this truth to me and I responded in faith. But, you know, a lot of times we're just so dense. God just uh, unconsciously leads us and we believe and we don't even know why. And, 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 and then this, we find scriptures and then, you know, then, you know, we know faith comes by hearing the word. But uh, I, I remember whenever I was just, first got back in the fellowship with the Lord. Scriptures that had been put in me and put in me and put in me and put in me all of my life and Sunday school and going to church when, when uh, that first year after I got back in the fellowship of the Lord, it was like all of that word just exploded on the inside of me. And, and somehow this scripture had been, uh, I knew this verse of scripture, I'd heard it quoted. Like I said, though, we interpreted it differently. We interpreted it, train up a child on the way he should go. And uh, there's about a 50-50 chance that, that he'll get saved. And uh, if he does, uh, you know, praise God, but he'll probably backslide. And, but if he backslides, he'll come back to the Lord. That's not what this says. I don't know how, how I managed to, to understand what it really said, but somehow I did. When, and, and somehow it was in my heart. I laid hold of this verse for my son, just as one of the first things that I did, elements of faith that I exercised was for my child and for my family. Train up a child in the way he should go. When he's old, he will not depart. That means he's following the way of the Lord. And so I just believe that. And, and then, you know, there were other scriptures, but uh, a lot of things I didn't see for a long time, but but I, I had just a couple of scriptures and I stood on them. You know, you don't have to have, you don't have to know the whole Bible. There's enough power, enough faith and one word from the Lord to carry you the rest of your life. Amen. Just hold on to it. Whatever God says to you, whatever he gives you, you hold on to that. Praise God. Yeah, you can add to your, to your uh, revelation and the Lord will add to it as you, as you follow him. But um, I laid hold of that as a young man and there's never been a doubt not, you know, I mean, you have thoughts that come to your mind like, you know, you're driving down the street and you see a, a nice looking sports car. The thought might run into your mind, through your mind, just go steal that car. But you, you just laugh at it. You, you think, well, that's stupid. I'm not going to do that. Why would I go do that? Well, I, I mean, in that way, no serious thought ever came to my mind that my children wouldn't be saved. Just, you know, a thought would come, but it was ridiculous. And uh, I, I just, as long as I've had my, my, my children, or as long as I've been back in fellowship with the Lord, like I said, I've never been concerned about them. So I've never been fear, in fear about it. And so uh, we didn't pray, you know, uh, uh, fervently or or. Our des we didn't pray desperately where our children were concerned. We just knew that, that, uh, that we had found the truth. I had, I had lived, even though I was young when I came back to the Lord, I had lived you know, out of his will for long enough. I had I'd experienced what the world had. And I knew that what God had was better. And when you know you have a better product, you're just not, you're not concerned about the, about the imitations. They just don't have an appeal to you. I knew my, my kids were smart enough that they, they'd know better than that. Because I also knew that I, I could communicate to them what needed to be communicated to them. 
and, and that they would follow the Lord. Now, faith, I want to talk some more about this because I know folks, sometimes this is new that you can believe God for your, for your child to be saved. Well, let's examine that. But let me first start off by saying the best time to begin believing for the salvation of your children is before they're ever conceived. That's the best time. You, you, you singles, you know, you, you, uh, you may not be even thinking about marriage or, or uh, let alone having children, but one day it's likely that you will. You know, understand now that it's important for you to build your faith where your family is concerned, where your future is concerned. Like I said, the best time is, uh, is before you ever have children. It exactly, it, that's exactly what Abraham did. Turn to Genesis 15 again. I don't know if we looked at 15, uh, chapter 15 last week or not. I know we looked at chapter 17, but chapter 15 is very enlightening. Let's read the first six verses. After these things, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision, saying, do not be afraid, Abram. I am your shield, your exceedingly great reward. But Abram said, Lord God, what will you give me? Now, now it'd be, it'd be good to, to remind yourself that the Lord had already spoken to Abraham three times about his descendants that, his, that, his, uh, that God was going to make him the father of, of nations, that the earth would be blessed through him, through his descendants. So the Lord had spoken this to him three times. But there's something about this one that, that is different. Abram said to, Lo, to the Lord, now, Lord, what will you give me? Because you know, he already had this, this uh, promise from the Lord that, that uh, he would be the father of many nations. He said, Lord, what will you give me seeing I go childless? And the heir of my house is Eliezer of Damascus. And Abram said, look, you have given me no offspring. Indeed, one born in my house is my heir. Behold, the word of the Lord came to him saying, this one shall not be your heir. But one will, who will come from your own body shall be your heir. Then he brought him outside and said, look now toward heaven and count the stars if you're able to number them. And he said to him, so shall your descendants be. Now the Lord had already told him before that, count the sand. Go to the seashore, count the sand if you can number the sand on the seashore. But here he said, look to the heavens and count the stars if you're able to number them. And he said to him, so shall your descendants be. Now I'm going to use throughout this study, I'm going to use the older King James uh, uh, version of this verse. He said, so shall your seed be. Because I, I, I think when we use the term descendants, we tend to skip a few generations in our, in our thinking. We're thinking, you know, longer uh, term, you know, further away descendants. He was talking about that, but he was also talking about his immediate descendant. He's talking about Isaac. He said, so shall your seed be. Now notice verse six, and he believed in the Lord and it was accounted to him for righteousness. This is the first time this statement is made about Abraham. He believed in the Lord and he accounted it to him for righteousness. What did he believe in? He believed in the Lord concerning his descendants. His faith concerning his 
seed concerning particularly his son. He said, I I don't have any children. You've given me no child. And God said, I'm going to give you a son. And he believed that. So in relation to his, uh, in other words, from the perspective of a parent, he's exercising faith. He believed in what the Lord said about his child. And that's when it was accounted unto him for righteousness. Go go with me over to Romans chapter 4. Romans the fourth chapter. I want to use the logic that Paul by the Holy Spirit used in Romans chapter 4 to to illustrate what I'm saying. In Romans chapter 4, Uh, Paul was talking about Abraham being accounted righteous as a result of believing God. Go back to verse number three. What does the scripture say? Abraham believed God and it was accounted to him for righteousness. This is a quote directly from Genesis 15, six, where we just read. What does the scripture say? Abraham believed God and it was accounted to him for for righteousness. Now, the, 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 the point of the next few verses is to show that, it, what, that Abraham didn't receive, he wasn't declared righteous as a result of good works or as a result of following any law. Of course, the law of Moses hadn't come yet. But he was, he, he was declared righteous on the basis of his faith. But let me remind you, his faith was particularly about the birth of a child, okay? Now, he, now he, he makes an argument in verse nine. Does this blessedness, that is being uh, judged righteous. Does this blessedness then come upon the circumcised only or upon the uncircumcised also? For we say that faith was accounted to Abraham for righteousness. How then was it accounted? While he was circumcised or uncircumcised? Not while circumcised, but while uncircumcised. And he received the sign of circumcision, a seal of the righteousness of the faith which he had while still uncircumcised, that he might be the father of all those who believe, though they are uncircumcised, that righteousness might be imputed to them also, and the father of circumcision to those who are not only of, uh, who are who not only are of the circumcision, but who also walk in the steps of the faith which our father Abraham had while still uncircumcised. Now I'm not cha- I'm not adding to the Bible here. But I want to use this same line of of reasoning. This blessing that Abraham received in that God made a covenant with him concerning his child and concerning what would be. This blessing of being made righteous concerning his believing where his child was concerned was did this blessing come as a result of being a parent or before he was a parent. He received this before he was a parent. So he exercised faith where his children were concerned before he had a child. It's so important for you to start now, young people, singles, young adults, young marrieds, if you have children, wherever you are, start. Now, Certainly, the, or the, the sooner you start, the greater the advantage. But I don't want any parent in here who is older, and maybe you have children that, maybe you're even a grandparent, and your children are not serving God. 
listen, God honors faith anytime, anywhere from anybody. Yes, it, it, it is to your advantage to start so that your children uh, uh, are secured in the faith all of their life. But even if you didn't start then, God honors faith now. So you can believe God where your children are concerned. We're going we're to discover this. So God wants to take possession of the children before sin gets the mastery over them. That's the thing. We need to start before they're born. Parenthood and childhood, as we've seen from the scriptures, uh, are divine. In other words, they're, they're both of divine origin. It was God who planned parenthood and childhood. God, God created Adam and Eve from the dust of the ground, but everybody else that's come into this earth has come as a baby. So God ordained parenthood and childhood, so everything connected to it must be approached by faith. Because everything God, it's a matter, of, anything you receive from God has to be received through faith. So your role as a parent uh, in relation to your child is a matter of faith. God expects us to use our faith. Well, how can you use your faith if it's just a, a 50-50 chance? That's not faith. Amen? See, if, if my faith, if my faith life is to fully honor God, and, and, you know, uh, without faith, it's impossible to please God. Well, if my faith is to fully honor God, and I want it to, then it must reach beyond myself. It must embrace my children that God gives me. Children are a heritage of the Lord, the Bible says. God gives us our children to, to, to raise. Well, if I'm going to honor God as a man of faith, then I have to use my faith for my children. If I don't use my faith for my children, I'm not honoring God with my faith life. Isn't that right? Uh, and, and if I really, truly want to have the grace of God manifested in my life, if I want to be totally consecrated to God, and, and we should be, I find sometimes that, that parents seem to think it's okay for them to love God, you know, for themselves and to really be uh, on fire for God, but, they're, but they're, they just sort of are, are lackadaisical where their children are concerned. But see, if I really want to honor God, if I really want to magnify the grace of God in my life, if I really want to be serious uh, about serving God, if I want to accomplish the most I can for the kingdom of God, then it, 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 I'll, I'll have to include my children in this. Because again, parents passing on to their children, uh, uh, in having children in their likeness and after their image was something that God ordained so that parents could pass the life of God onto their children. Well, sin uh, corrupted that. God has restored that through grace and faith and by covenant promise. He has enabled us to, to take back what the devil stole where family life was concerned and where the family, like I said last week, where the family became the, the greatest strength of sin because sin was passed down, you know, through the family, through the, through the, uh, from parent to child since, since family became the stronghold of, of sin, then family should be the stronghold of grace and righteousness. God intends for our families to come in, everybody in them. So yes, God deals with you as an individual, 
You believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you're saved. But the scripture says, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you shall be saved and your household. We need to, we need to realize this. God expects it of us to have faith where our children is concerned. But this is where parents have a difficulty. They see that God's promises of mercy and salvation for sinners are free and sure. And, uh, and they've believed in these promises and they've received God's mercy and, and they've been born again. They've been saved. Uh, but it's, it, it, it is as if the promise with regard to the children is not so sure, not so simple. Uh, they cannot understand how they can so confidently believe God, how one person can so confidently believe God for another. Well, let me just say, there's a whole lot of authority that we have that we've never even scratched the surface of. I'm firmly convinced we have far more. I heard Kenneth Hagin say that over and over in his books on, on the believer's authority, he made that in, that in that book, he made that statement. He said, I'm convinced that we have more authority than we know and that we've just scratched the surface of it. Well, thank God for the scratch. <laughs> thank God for the, for the little bit that we've, that we've uh, seen. But there's so much more. But particularly where our children are concerned, we have authority where our kids are concerned that makes our faith for them different than for anybody else. Now, when I say how you can believe God for your children, you know, if you look it up in the dictionary, the word for has like 20 different definitions. It's one of those words that just is used a lot of different ways. When I say believing God for your children, I'm not, I don't mean, I don't mean it in the sense of believing God in the place of your children. So they don't have to believe God. You're believing uh, on, on their behalf or in place of them. That's not what I mean. I'm, I'm using it in the sense, I'm believing God on behalf of them to secure something for them. I'm not doing their believing, I'm doing my believing. But my believing has an application to my child. I can use my faith where my children are concerned uh, but you know, and I didn't realize this, you know, I, I, I've learned some of these concepts from reading this book, uh, how to raise your children for Christ. By the way, I was going to mention this earlier, forgot to, we, we got these in, uh, we told you they were $10 a piece. I think, did we tell you that last week? Yeah. $10 a piece. We got them in and I'm not impressed with the quality of the physical book. It's a cheaper, uh, uh, edition. I mean, all of the, I, I've scanned through it. It all seems to be in there. There's 52 chapters, one for each week, but you will not be able to, uh, absorb everything in this book, uh, one week at a time, every chapter. I just don't believe that it's going to take some more meditation and feeding than, than, and putting into practice, uh, uh, than that. But, uh, the, the, book that, the books that we got are not a very high quality binding. I mean, it's paper. This is paperback. But you can see I've, you know, folded it and laid it flat. And it's just a, a very good quality paperback. The ones we got were not very good. And so we're going to sell them for $5. We actually got a good deal on them. So um, uh, we're going to make them available for $5. And if you wear them out, you can get another one then. Okay. Uh, but they're in the, they're in the bookstore. 
So there's plenty for everybody. We got extras. Like I said, we got a good deal on them. Uh, and so I learned some of these things from reading this book. And I don't remember when I, when I got the book, but uh, what it did is it strengthened me in the faith that I already had. Uh, but I, I noticed in my church background and just talking to, to relatives and different people that sort of the prevailing uh, view is that God has established sort of a general connection between, you know, sort of like seed time and harvest. There's a general connection between seed time and harvest. Uh, you know, if you sow seed, it'll produce a crop. But sometimes seed's not any good. Sometimes the soil's not very good. Sometimes there's not any rain. And so you don't get 100% uh, uh, return on everything you sow. There's a general connection between seed time and harvest. Now, you can, you can apply your faith for things of the spirit. There's a seed time and harvest in that realm. But uh, in the natural realm. Well, sort of the prevailing view of Christians, I think, is that there's a general connection between parenting, a, a proper parental training, and the salvation of your children. That uh, in, in, in neither case, seed time nor training, is absolute certainty of success guaranteed. But rather, it's believed that the promises merely express the tendency an ordinary result of proper training. See, that's the way we, we, it was presented to me growing up. Train up a child on the way he should go and, you know, you should do pretty good. There's a tendency. There's a general tendency. The ordinary effect of training your children up in the way they should go is the ordinary effect of that is that when they're old, they'll not uh, depart from it. That's the general tendency. But see, that's not, you can't, you can't establish faith on that. Faith needs something clear and unmistakable and undeniable. If you don't have that, you don't have any basis for faith. How can you have faith for something you're not sure God promises? Well, the way it was presented and the way I'm convinced people today, most Christians still believe, is that there's a general tendency. If you, if you do everything right, your kids should turn out right. That's not good enough for me. My children's salvation is more important to me than thinking, well, if I do everything right, it should turn out. That's like saying, if you believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and confess him as, as Lord, you should, you should get saved. You, that should result in salvation. No, it does result in salvation. Isn't that right? Faith needs the assurance that God's purpose and promise, promises are clear and unmistakable. Isn't that right? Only then can you enter into rest. You know, the Bible says he who has believed had enter, had, enters into rest. You can't enter into rest. You can't. The Bible says cast all of your care on him, on the Lord, for he cares for you. Well, you can't do that if there's no assurance that he'll care for you. You can't cast all. You can carry most of your care, but you'll carry a little bit of it. But if you know that he cares for you, you can cast all of your care over on his faithfulness. Well, if, you, if you're sure that you have an absolute right, that if you believe God and exercise your faith where your family is concerned, you're absolute, absolutely certain and assured they'll be saved. Man, you can sleep at night. You can sleep, you can rest. And, 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 and 
Angela and I have lived this way all of our, uh, well, ever since I got back in the fellowship of the Lord. This is the way we've lived. We've never had fear. We've never gone to bed wondering and fretting over our kids. And I, I tell you, it's a good way to live. And that faith that we had created and have created an atmosphere that is very compelling where, where children are concerned. Well, this was the promise given to Abraham. And, and, it's, and it's still true for every believing parent today. God's word is the only sure ground for faith. You can't believe for anything that the word doesn't tell you belongs to you. Isn't that right? Well, uh, in God's word, he has given us the very distinct and definite promise that he will be the God of our seed. He told Abraham, we read this last week, I will be a God to you and to your seed after you. God's promise to Abraham concerning Isaac, now listen, was not conditional on Isaac's believing. I'm gonna read it again. God's promise to Abraham concerning Isaac was not conditional upon Isaac's believing. How could it be? Isaac wasn't there yet. The Bible says, Abraham believed God before Isaac was born concerning his child. He said, I will be a God to you and to your seed after you. He believed that. That was in the 17th chapter uh, of Genesis. Uh, he believed that before his child was born. So, Ab so Isaac's faith didn't have anything to do with it. It wasn't contingent upon Isaac's faith. Now, don't misunderstand me. Your child, my child, will have to exercise personal faith. But my faith, where they're concerned, isn't dependent on their faith. It's a promise God made to me. Do you see the difference in that? <clears throat> as I stand in covenant with God as my God and see how he offers to be the God of my seed, then I have the right in faith to claim his promise and to be assured of my child's salvation as firmly as my own through faith in the covenant-keeping God. There's, go back over with me to uh, Genesis again. And let's look at, in chapter 17, where we looked. You'll notice chapter 18 is when the Lord appeared to him and... Uh, he and Sarah, and uh, told them that the child would be born uh, after the time, according to the time of life. So the child hadn't been born yet. In Genesis 17, verse 7 says, I will establish my covenant between me and you and your descendants after you and their generations for an everlasting covenant to be a God to you and to your seed after you. Again, your very children. See, I, I believe this where my grandchildren are concerned. I have the same kind of faith. I have no doubt that my, that my grandchildren will be saved. I have no doubt. Because he said to your descendants, I'll be a God to you and to your descendants after you. There's four elements of this promise that reveal how sure it is. Number one, the matter of the promise. I got this out of this book. You'll read it. The matter of the promise is the same in each case. I will be a God to you and I will be a God to your seed after you. 
God stands in the same relation to the child as to the father. The believing parent and the unconscious child have the same place before him. See, when, when, when Pastor Angela and I uh, uh, said, uh, and I said it before she did because she wasn't in fellowship with the Lord yet, but then she uh, came in uh, back into fellowship with the Lord. We believed where our children were concerned. And the matter of the promise was the same where we were concerned or where the child was concerned. Even though the children were just little, they were unconscious of it. They didn't know what we believed. But they stood in the same place with us before God. So number one. Number two, the certainty of the promise is the same. It rests on God's grace, God's power, and God's covenant faithfulness. So the certainty is the same. The condition of the promise is in each case the same. The blessing for parent and child is offered on the condition of the faith of the parent, not the faith of the child. I'm talking about the promise to the parent. We're talking about the promise to the parent. The blessing that it acquires for the parent and child is offered on the condition of the faith of the parent. If the parent's faith If the parent's faith accepts this for the child, God will see to it that his faith is not disappointed. If you lay hold of that, parents, by faith, God will make sure. See, God has tremendous ability to influence a person's life. God has tremendous ability to to bring people in. That's, that's what I was talking about earlier when I said there's a lot of authority we have that we don't even know about. How else can we pray for the lost? See, we pray, oh Lord, you know, save them. Well, that's up to them, isn't it? Well, there's an element of faith that we haven't gotten into very much and in in an element of authority that God will move on their behalf even, even someone who's not related to us, God will move on their behalf in a way that he doesn't move on the person sitting next to them in the office where they work, the person who has nobody praying for them. God will move on that person and bring influence to bear in that person's life because somebody is praying for them and particularly if somebody claims their salvation, to, to the degree of faith that you have, That's the degree of influence that God brings to bear on that people, on that person. And the reason we don't see a lot more influence is we don't have much faith for it. Well, uh, where our children are concerned, we should have faith for it because the word is clear. He said, he said to Abraham, I will be your God. He promised him and I'll be the God of your descendants, of your, of your children. So the condition of the faith is the same. If the parent's faith accept this for the child, God will see to it that his faith is not disappointed. And number four, the recipient, now notice this, the recipient of the promise is the same. It is not as if the first half of the promise is given to the father and the second half of the promise is given to the child. No, it's the same person to whom the two parts of the promise are made. It's the same person to the parent. In the first half, the individual accepts it for himself. In the second half, he accepts it as a father for his child. The promise is not held in suspension to wait for the child's faith. I'm talking about this promise to the father. 
The promise to the father is not held in suspension to wait for the child's faith, but is given to the father's faith in the assurance that the child's faith will follow. With Abraham, as with each believing parent today, the same faith accepts the personal and the parental blessing. The blessing is in, in either the blessing is in either case equally sure if faith equally holds fast. Never give up where your children are concerned. Well, I, I didn't know this. My children are grown. What can I do now? Get a hold of it. The promise is still to you. I'll be a God to you and to your children. We have the same covenant Abraham had. Now, you need to lay hold of it in faith. Amen. Let each parent follow in the steps of the faith of our father Abraham, who did not waver at the promise of God through unbelief, but was strengthened in faith, giving glory to God and being fully convinced that what he had promised, he was also able to perform. Don't ever stagger. Don't ever waver. At the, no matter what your kids do, don't waver in what you believe God for. Amen? Now, there are other things, and, and I'm not going to go through everything that's in the book. Uh, you know, in this book about uh, uh, how we can lay hold of this. But I, I do want to mention this. Go to, to Exodus chapter 12. Exodus chapter 12. Now the Lord spoke to Moses, verse one says, and Aaron in the land of Egypt saying, this month shall be the beginning of months. It shall be the first month of the year to you. Speak to all the congregation of Israel saying, on the 10th of this month, every man shall take for himself a lamb according to the house of his father, a lamb for a household. And then skip on down to verse 23. For the Lord will pass through to strike the Egyptians. And when he sees the blood on the lintel and on the two doorposts, the Lord will pass over the door and not allow the destroyer to come into your houses to strike you. Now, this is just an illustration. We, there's a lot of type. There's a lot of, of proof of God's promise and God's blessing through things that God did where Israel was concerned. We know that Christ is our Passover. Isn't that right? There, I don't know of another feast or ordinance or uh, festival in all of Israel's history. I don't know and I don't think you can, you can tell me of another feast or, or, or uh, remembrance in Israel that is so minutely fulfilled in the Lord Jesus Christ than that of the Passover. Everything about it is typical of Christ. Everything about it is typical of our salvation, is it not? I, like I said, I, you know, there are other types and shadows in the Old Testament, but nothing has been fulfilled to, they're all fulfilled to the same degree. But what I'm saying is there's so many details of this that, that are absolutely Christ is the antitype of every single aspect of this. Isn't that right? Well, notice that the blessing was secured by the blood. God didn't just deal with individuals. He dealt with houses. He dealt with households. The covenant blessing in, in, during the Passover 
Every, it wasn't every person for himself. It was every man for his family. Now, if, if all of the aspects of Passover are typical of what we have in Christ, how can we exclude this one aspect? No. This aspect as well applies. That there is power in the blood of Jesus to secure your children. You can, you, when you apply the blood, see, when you use your faith where your children are concerned, you're applying the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ over your family, over your children. God honored it then, he'll honor it now. If not, we don't have a better covenant. We have a better covenant established on better promises. If they could secure the blessing of, of, of uh, the death angel passing over their families, but we cannot, and we know that, that, that death typifies spiritual death, if, if they could secure that by faith and by applying the blood and we can't, then we're at a disadvantage. No, God dealt with Israel in mercy according to their houses, to their families. We can be confident that the blood of Christ will exercise its mighty influence over our house until all in it are consciously and confessedly redeemed. See, every, every person in your house, every, all of your children, each one of them will have to personally and consciously uh, accept Christ as Savior and confess him as Lord. But when you, uh, in faith, like they did, they applied the blood to the doorpost of the house. If, when you do that over your family, that blood, see, the Bible says the blood of Christ still speaks today. It's not God, the blood of Christ isn't something that's just a historical thing. The Bible says it still speaks today. It's still working today. It's still cleansing today. It's still protecting today. It's still sanctifying today. And that influence that you put in, in motion whenever you believe God for your family, that blood will continue to work and do its work until every one of your children are consciously redeemed, until they've made that decision. God will not let up on them. Why? Because of your faith in his, in his covenant. And then go over to uh, Exodus chapter, well, you're in chapter 12. Look at verse 26. Verse 25 says, it shall come to pass when you come to the land which the Lord will give you, just as he promised that you shall keep this service. And it shall be when your children say to you, what do you mean by this service? That you shall say it is the Passover sacrifice of the Lord who passed over the houses of the children of Israel in Egypt when he struck the Egyptians and delivered our households. So the people bowed their heads and worshiped. What he's saying here is the, the parents' responsibility was, to not, was not just to put the blood on the doorpost and the lintel and the two doorposts of the house. He was to instruct his children, tell his children the significance of it. See, it is the parent's responsibility. It's not just faith without works. Faith has to have corresponding actions. So parent then is required to tell his children about it. I mean, that, you know, I, I'm, not, I'm not talking about necessarily uh, trying to educate your, Bible, your children a lot of Bible truth. 
you know, Bible, you know, scriptures and so forth. What I'm talking about is letting your children know that the blood of Christ is the thing that saves and sanctifies and that, and, and, and that as a family, see our fam, my family, and, and again, I offer up my home as an example in our, our, our family, not because we were perfect, because we weren't. Not because we, we didn't make a mistake, because we did. Like I said, there was not always peace and harmony and, and uh, uh, joy in the house all the time. We, 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 made, we had struggles. We, we, you know, we're human and, uh, and, and had more than our share of, of, uh, of uh, lack of harmony sometimes, okay? But our children... We, we continually talked about redemption, continually talked about what it means to be born again because it was real to us, amen? So teaching your children. And then in Deuteronomy 6, you don't have to turn there, but in Deuteronomy chapter 6, it talks about the, you take the, the word, the commandments of God, and they were instructed to write them on the doorpost of the house. So on these blood, every year they had to reapply the blood to the doorposts. And then they had to write on those blood-stained doorposts the commandments in the law. That tells me that we are to teach our children, give them, put the word into them. Now again, I'm not talking about, I didn't enroll my children in a Bible study course. I didn't sit down with them and, and go through like that. It's just that, that we lived and talked about the Bible. We, they continually heard uh, a- Angela and I talking about uh, our redemption and, and, and what we had and what belonged to us and who we were in Christ Jesus. That became an education to them. So we put the word into them. We didn't, when we, I know I'm running late again, but when we first started the church, Pastor Angela, the very first, when we first started, we were in the, the woman's club in... Well, that we started in, in the Hickson's house. Did you do the children then? Yeah. We started in, in John and Elaine Hickson's house out in Fort White, out from Fort White. And Pastor Angela took the children into a bedroom in the house and she did a, a little program for the kids. Now, there were 13 adults and 10 kids or 10, 10 adults and 13 kids. And she had them all. From, the young, from babies right on up through teenagers. Had them all in one room. We didn't have any babies. They were like five years old and up. When we moved into the woman's club, she took them in the side room. In the woman's club in High Springs, there's a side room. She took them in there and, 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 and did a little children's program. She, by that time, we'd really prospered. We had some flannel graft. She was the children's minister. We moved into the old uh, Baptist church. We bought that. She was the children's minister. She took the kids next door and the educational, you know, where the, uh, what, what department was that when we left? Babies? Yeah, in the baby room. Toddlers, the toddler room. She'd take them in there and uh, she had, again, a wide, you know, uh, age group. Four to 13 and then they had somebody else doing the older ones or they just didn't come in there. Anyway, See, I can't tell a story without her filling in the details. And that's okay. But she, she did that. And then, you know, I, I needed my wife with me 
in, in ministry. There are times when I you know, lay hands on the sick and I want to lay hands on a, on a lady. I don't like putting my hands on a lady's back or something, you know. I need my wife there. I just needed her with me in church. So one day I got up and I told the church this. I said, uh, I'm not dependent upon children's church to teach my children. I teach my children myself. Our children are going to heaven whether yours do or not. And it's not dependent on what uh, children, it's not dependent on children's church. So as of next Sunday, we will have no children's church because my wife is going to be, because I, I had tried to get some people to help and somebody would go in there for a week or two and then they wouldn't come back. So I finally said, as of next Sunday, there will be no children's church because I don't need it. And I was only doing this for you guys, but if y'all don't want to help, then we just won't have children's church because my wife's going to be with me next Sunday. So if there's going to be a children's church, somebody will have to take it. Curriculum or what, I don't know if we had any curriculum, but flannel graph and all that stuff's back there. Somebody can have it because I don't need it. My children don't need it. So why am I doing it if you're not going to help? So that's when Ruth Dunn, she the one that stepped up. Is that when she took that? I think so. I think Ruth Dunn had just been, I mean, she had only been coming to church just a, a, just a, a short period of time. She said, I'm going to do it. She took it. She was the first children's uh, director, I mean, after Pastor Angela had it. And she's never been back in there since. Well, Najee, you have been in there. You've visited a few times. But the point was, the point was we were raising our children. I think so often parents think, well, I'll just bring my kids to church and, and they'll do it. They'll tell them everything they need to, to know. And if, and if I get them into church, you know, three times a week, then something will click. Well, getting them in church is very important for a lot of reasons. But that's not, that's not the key to your children uh, following after God. The key is you put it into them. You believe God. You apply the blood of Jesus Christ to those kids. Praise God. Amen. Hallelujah. The parent becomes priest, prophet, and teacher by doing that. The priest applies the blood. The prophet and teacher gives the instruction. So that's the parent's responsibility. We'll talk more about it next time. At Impact Family Church, it is our desire to see you blessed through the power of the Word of God. We have been helping people to change their world for over 25 years through our dynamic ministries and teaching. If you are going to be in the North Central Florida area and are interested in attending our services or just want more information about us, you can visit us online at www.impactfamilychurch.com.